Hello. Hi. And welcome to Saints and Witches. I'm Sarah. I'm Catholic. I'm Liz. I'm a witch. And with us, we have a very special guest today. My mom, Mary Beth Jillick, a.k.a. MB, a.k.a. B, <laughs> a.k.a. AKA. Oh, okay. Hello, okay. everybody. I'm happy to be here. Would you like to tell us just a little bit about yourself or why you wanted to be on the podcast or anything you want to talk about? So I am Sarah's mom, obviously, um, and I am a faithful follower of this podcast. I think these girls do an awesome job with the podcast. I love all the research. I love the compare contrast of faith. Um, and Sarah's kind of been inching me along, trying to get me to be a guest speaker ever since her friend Maddie was on as a guest. So then when I figured the thing I'm going to talk about today is something that I'm really passionate about and I find absolutely amazing. So it was easy for me to um, say yes to this. Nice. Um, well, we're glad to have you. Um, yeah, you would always be like, oh, maybe someday I could be on your podcast. Maybe, maybe someday it'll be okay for me to be on the podcast. <laughs> like, do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> Would you like to be on an episode? <laughs> and you were like, oh, well, I just don't know if I could do it. It's like, do you, th what do you think our process is? <laughs> and I just show up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the main problem with me being on is you always record during the week and I'm normally teaching. Oh, true. So with this break that we have from school, it gave me a better opportunity. True. Um, so you teach the youth of America. You bet I do. Um, is there anything uh, you'd like to tell your students, give your students a shout out who listen to this podcast? <laughs> Tell them, get off your computers and your laptops. You're in preschool. <laughs> Go outside and play. Well, there you the have age it. group I thought she was going to say. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, hopefully no preschoolers are listening to this podcast. So we are here again, um, getting very close to the holidays. A blessed Yule to those who celebrate. Happy solstice. I had an email, a professional email from mm -hmm. um, a professor actually this morning wishing me a blessed Yule, hmm. which was cool. It was a very nice change of pace. I mentioned it to a coworker and they were like, oh, that's weird. Not don't really that person. <laughs> <laughs> right. We don't want to have this conversation, Linda. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't know what I do um, in my <laughs> non-work hours. So today we're going to talk about Portugal. Uh, so I was going to talk about Portugal and then, ev and then everything went up in flames yesterday. Oh. Um, so I decided to connect us thematically through visions, cool. I think, instead. That'll work. Mm -hmm. awesome. So that's All where right. we're at. <laughs> Sounds good. So here we go. Let's get into it. So today we will be talking about Our Lady of Fatima, which is obviously a title belonging to the Virgin Mary. 
It was given to her following the Marian apparitions reported in 1917 by three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. Um, Note on pronunciation. I am a very arrogant person. We know that. So I was like, oh, Portuguese, so close to Spanish. (laughs) It's fine. I don't have to look anything up. Um, But I had extra time this afternoon. So I was like, what the heck? (laughs) Might as well try and look some of this stuff up. Um, I did not know the correct pronunciation of a lot of these things until like an hour ago. So for example, Fatima, um, that's kind of how you would say it in Spanish too. So that one wasn't too surprising. I did not know that um, Portuguese speakers who live in Portugal have a different way of (laughs) pronunciating, (laughs) pronouncing certain words than um, Portuguese speakers elsewhere in the world, like Brazil, for example. So in Portugal, they would say Fatima. In Brazil, they might say Fatima with a little ch in there. Anyway, so this is another Marian apparition story, similar to the Juan Diego story from a while ago. As with all apparition stories, it's a little bit controversial, although it has been declared valid by the church. The events gained worldwide recognition in part because of the secretive, mysterious elements of the revelations that were given to the children. Um, So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about background on Portugal leading up to World War I, and then I will turn it over to MB. So we've never been in Portugal before, so this is exciting. Christianity came to the area that would later be Portugal when it was part of the Roman province of Lusitania. The present-day Portuguese state was founded in 1139 by King Afonso I during the Reconquista, um, which, if you don't remember, is the period where the northern Christian kingdoms of the Iberian Peninsula, meaning Spain and Portugal, they reclaimed land in the southern part of the peninsula from the Muslim Moors. So this is like early... Spanish Inquisition period. The Catholic-ruled Portuguese Empire flourished during the Age of Exploration in the 15th and 16th centuries. Um, The empire would span almost six centuries, making it one of the world's longest-standing empires. But by the turn of the 20th century, Portugal was experiencing a lot of upheaval. It had been forced to cede many of its colonies and territories to Britain, which was a bit of a national embarrassment um, that was not a good look for them. Citizens were also unhappy with the spending, the extravagant spending of the Portuguese royal family and with the instability of the country's two opposing political parties. Sounds familiar. In 1908, King Carlos I was assassinated by Republican sympathizers And in 1910, the royal family was fully overthrown in a coup, and the Portuguese monarchy became the Portuguese Republic, now known as the First Portuguese Republic, which should give you a little clue as to how the transition went. (laughs) Not smoothly. Um, So one of the republic's main goals, the Republican government's main goals, was the secularization of the state. 
So they instituted reforms like, um, okay, no church education in public school. They legalized civil marriage and they legalized divorce. Like those seem like progressive things, like good things to have in a modern country. Um, But the government also suppressed the public celebration of religious holidays. It prohibited the wearing of cassocks and it closed convents and monasteries. Um, It even made ringing church bells illegal in certain areas and time periods or days. Um, I didn't look into that too much, but it was it was a hard left turn from how it had been before, which is never going to go smoothly. It also revoked the citizenship of those crazy Jesuits (laughs) because we never like them. And so the Catholic Church did not love this journey for Portugal. Um, Pope Pius X issued a formal condemnation of the new government. And um, the shift was not fully supported by the public in the first place. Many of the population were Catholic and devoutly Catholic. So to me, this is really reminiscent of the English Reformation, but it's happening in Portugal 400 years after it happened in England. So they're just a little behind schedule. But even more pressing issues would soon take precedence. And by that, I mean World War I which officially began in 1914 with the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, as we know. Portugal officially remained neutral for about the first year and a half of the war. I say officially because there were conflicts between Portugal and Germany. It just took them a while to officially declare war on each other. Britain's requests for aid from Portugal combined with the Portuguese need to protect their African colonies from German invasion and German U-boat warfare that was threatening to blockade the UK. Um, All that stuff combined is what finally tipped the scales. Um, So what happened was Portugal seized the German ships that were in their port and then Germany declared war on Portugal and Portugal quickly followed with its own reciprocal declaration. That was in March of 1916. As for what happened during the war, the course of the war, which our story takes place during the course of the war, but since we're on the subject, approximately 12,000 Portuguese troops would die during the course of the war, including Africans who fought on the colonial front. Civilian deaths in Portugal would total over 220,000. 82,000 of those deaths were caused by starvation due to food shortages and 138,000 by the Spanish flu. I wanted to mention all this background information because I think it's important to understand how desperate and precarious the situation was at the time of the story. And maybe we'll be more able to understand why, like not only the logistics of the story, but also the significance of the events happening at the time that they happened. So now I will turn it over to you. Take it away. Thank you. And I could just preface that by saying the three children that Mary appeared to had no clue about what was happening with the war. That's how young they were. Mm -hmm. Um, So the shepherd children that Mary appeared to, Lucia, she was born in 1907, the youngest of seven children. She was 10 when Mary appeared. Her catechism was strong. She was able to receive her first communion only at six years old. Normally it was 10. 
Um, she was born in the village of El Justrel in a squat one-story dwelling. There were red tile roofs, narrow streets, rocky fields. Her dad was a farmer. Um, her parents were Antonio Ababoro. Hope I said that right. It's fine. <laughs> um, he farmed and he grew sheep. Um, he grew he sheep, also, like from seed? Grew, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and he said he um, liked his wine a lot. He went out a lot at night and um, caroused, I think is the word they used. Mm, a good old fashioned carousing. <laughs> yeah. Um, her mom's name was Maria Rosa. Um, she was a devout Catholic mm. and no nonsense. Woman. Mm. Sounds like her husband was a lot of nonsense. He was pro nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lucia is a young child. Um, her mother read to her a lot. Um, young children and friends and cousins were attracted to Lucia. She had a great sense of humor and she loved to tell stories. Um, she was said to have a warm and motherly heart. Um, she had several cousins, and two of them were Jacinta and Francisco, brother and sister. Their mom was Olympia, and their dad was T. Marto. The dad was hardworking and never caroused, so mm. he was pretty much the opposite of Lucia's dad. Mm -hmm. um, Francisco was the older of the two. He was born on June 11th, 1908. He was nine when Mary appeared. He was considerate and obedient. He loved animals like lizards, snakes, and birds. He caught rabbits and foxes and made pets of them. Oh, yikes. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> your kid bringing home a fox. Absolutely Mom, look not. what I found. Absolutely Put it outside not. now. And I bet it did stay outside. <laughs> um, he also liked to go to the top of the mountains. I think this is a really neat um, description of him. He liked to go to the top of the mountains, sing and play his flute. He and his sister um, would dance while he played the flute. Well, that's just because his mom was sick of the noise and made him leave. Yeah. It's like whenever you get recorders as a kid, you play one too many hot cross buns and your mom's like, go practice in the backyard. Go practice at the literal top of a mountain away from me. Um, it was also said that he was never afraid of anything. Hmm. He wrote that. <laughs> he wrote that description of himself. Right. Um, Jacinta was born March 1910. She was seven when Mary appeared. She was the opposite of her brother. Um, she's described as strong-willed with a mind of her own. She was possessive and assertive. Pouted hmm. if she didn't get her way. Sound familiar, Sarah? Wow. Yeah, I was making the joke about myself. You don't have to pile on. <laughs> okay. Reminded me of um, when grandpa would play that um, game with you. And if you lost, you got really mad. <laughs> yeah, because I don't like to lose. And I will not apologize for that. Right. Um, so she, as I mentioned, she loved to dance and sing too with her brother. It was kind of a cultural thing, I think, with these um, young kids back then. Um. The three kids, they lived strong Catholic lives. Um, they prayed the rosary daily as a family. They were shepherds, so they were in charge of grazing the sheep daily. Kind of Jacinta and Francisco got talked into it because they loved to hang out with Lucia. And that was her job that got kind of thrown at her as being the youngest in the family. 
But she was the oldest of the three. The oldest of the three. Yep. Yeah. So they thought she was super cool. Oh, yeah. And I read, too, that they she really didn't care too much to hang around with Jacinta. Um, when they were real young, she thought they were really annoying and mm. loud and obnoxious. But then it was said that she um, grew to to like hanging out mm. with them. So the three of them would often graze the sheep in the Loca do Quebeco, but the main <laughs> grazing area was the Cova da Iria. And Cova da Iria. Thank you. So mm-hmm. that's also called the Cove of Peace, and that's what I'm going to go with. Sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> this uh, Cove of Peace was a small pasture about a mile and a half from their house. Um, and this is where Mary appeared to the children six times in 1917. A year before in 1916, which is cool, and I guess maybe I never learned this or maybe I forgot. Um, they had three apparitions from the Angel of Peace, which is also the Angel of Portugal. Um, the first time they were grazing at the um, Loca de Quebeco, the sky became overcast <laughs> with a cold breeze. They scrambled under what was kind of described as a cave, but not really a deep cave, kind of like a brick overhang. Lucia describes him as a young man, about 14 or 15, whiter than snow, transparent as crystal, and of great beauty. He said, do not be afraid. I am the angel of peace. Pray with me. He taught them the pardon prayer, which is, my God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I ask pardon of you for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. He asked them to say the prayer over and over daily, and they repeated it with him three times while he was there. Um, The second time he appeared to them was at a different place. Um, They were playing at a well near their home. Um, It was during the summer, and it was one of the hottest days of the year. So they brought the sheep home (laughs) to sit in the shade. They were playing around the well, um, you know, just being kids as they were wont to do. They were playing games. Um, And then I thought this was kind of funny. Then all of a sudden he just appeared right next to them. And he said, what are you doing? Pray, pray very much. (laughs) Sacrifices. Offer sacrifices. Offer sacrifices. Whoa. Yeah. So um, (laughs) playtime is over. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was funny. What are you doing? It's no time to play. Um, the third visit was back at the first place he was at. Um, he gave during that visit, he gave Lucia the Eucharist. Um, as I mentioned, she'd already received her first Holy Communion. Francisco and Jacinta, he um gave the blood of Christ too, since they hadn't received their first communion yet. Um, and for some reason or another, Lucia told them not to tell anybody about these visits. See, she wasn't sure why. Um, she said they were just really intimate and um, didn't think that they should tell anybody. So after these visits, then by February 1917, Portugal sent its first troops, 50,000 of them, to the Western Front. 
with all that was going on, Pope Benedict XV began a novena to the Queen of Peace. And on the eighth day of that novena, May 13th, 1917, Mary appeared for the first time. While grazing the sheep at um, the Cove of Peace, they had prayed, they had eaten, and they were busy building a little um, house with stones. Um, they saw what seemed to be a flash of lightning on a small tree. They saw a lady dressed in white. Lucia described her as, she was more brilliant than the sun and radiated light, more clear and intense than a crystal glass filled with sparkling water when the rays of the burning sun shine through it. Wow. That's quite a description. Uh, she looked about 17. She wore a mantle and a tunic that seemed to be made of light. Around her neck was a cord with a little ball of light. There was a star toward the bottom of the tunic. In her hands was a rosary, which shone like stars with the crucifix, the most radiant of all. So Mary said to them, do not be afraid. I will do you no harm. And this is the conversation with Lucia. Um, so Lucia, during these apparitions, could see, hear, and talk to Mary. Jacinta could see and hear her, but not speak with Mary. And Francisco could only see her. Oh, poor Francisco. Oh, yeah. He really um, made sure he found out what she said, though, after each apparition. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> like, what'd she say? What'd she say? And they're like, oh, she yeah. didn't talk about you. <laughs> She's not interested in speaking with you. Too bad. Uh, Lucia said, where are you from? Mary said, I am from heaven. And Lucia said, what do you want of me? Mary said, I want you to return here on the 13th of each month for six months. Later, I will tell you who I am and what I want. Lucia asked if the three of them would go to heaven. Uh, and Mary replied, yes. But Francisco would first need to say many rosaries. Oh, Francisco. I feel was like on. at this point, they're just teasing him. They're like, this is what she said, that you're not going to go to heaven like us unless you do stuff. You're not going to go to heaven unless you do all my chores, unfortunately. I'm just repeating what Mary told me. Right. Um. <laughs> And so, but then she said, Jacinta and Francisco are going to go to heaven soon. Oh, shit. Yeah. And Lucia, um, God wants you to stay on earth longer. Okay. Yeah. So she, uh, at the very, at the very first apparition, she let those kids know they were going to heaven soon. And uh, that Francisco was on thin ice. Yeah. And she also told them that they were just going to have to pray their little hearts out and make sacrifices, um, make good use of the, the short time they had left there. She's hell of a first meeting. She's like, hi, BT dubs, you're going to die soon. <laughs> you have seven days to live. Okay. <laughs> that is um, scary. Yeah. Can you imagine being that little and having someone tell you that? No, I cannot. Um, so Mary asked them, are you willing to offer yourselves to God and to bear all the sufferings he wills to send you as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and of the supplication for the conversion of sinners? And guess what they said? They said, yes, ma'am. 
They said, yeah. what were those words? <laughs> they said, start what? over. <laughs> <laughs> Can you define supplication? <laughs> Use it in a sentence. A different said, sentence. Yes, we are willing. And Mary said, then you are going to have much to suffer. Uh-oh. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a foreshadowing there. Uh, she said, pray the rosary every day to obtain peace for the world and the end of the war. Okay. She repeated this message each of the six times. She also included, um, many times she included, I want the, um, I want Russia to become consecrated to me and not be communist anymore. Whoa. Yeah. Lucia said Mary began to rise in the direction of the east until she disappeared. Lucia said it was like heaven opened up for her. And my gosh, I would have loved to see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, she told her cousins not to speak of this, but Jacinta, because she was so excited, decided she couldn't stop herself. And she told her mom. <gasps> Chatty Kathy. Yeah. Jacinta and Francisco's mom thought she was just being silly and kind of just threw it under the rug. Um, T. Marto, though, their dad, as soon as they told him, he said, well, if you both are giving me the same story and you saw this lady in white, I'm sure it did happen. So he was actually the first believer in um, Fatima, Our Lady of Fatima. That's nice. Yeah, I think that's nice that they had the support of him uh, right from the start. Um, Lucia's mom, however, did not believe her. And she was really, really mad that she even came up with this story. Um, she kept telling Lucia to change her story. She would take her to the priest many times and say, you've got to confess and tell him that you were lying. Mm -hmm. And Lucia's mom does not change her mind through the all the six apparitions, not to leave very end. Oh, so she did not believe in it. She, she needed the miracle. The second apparition, June 13, was the Feast of St. Anthony. And in <clears throat> Aljustral, the Feast of St. Anthony is celebrated greatly. They have a huge party, lots of praying, lots of church stuff. Um, Lucia's mom thought for sure that because of this feast day, um, Lucia and the kids would stay home. She'd forget about the cove. Um, she tried to talk Lucia out of going, and Lucia got so mad. She just said, forget it. I'm not going to go. Um, yeah. Jacinta and Francisco, however, told her that um, they were going to go anyway without her. <laughs> so at the last minute, she decided to go. And because some of the news had gotten out about the first apparition, there were about 50 people waiting there um, um, for the apparition. Um, when Mary got there, she opened her hands and a light spread out to the children out of her hands. Jacinta and Francisco seemed to be a part of the light that spread up to heaven. And Lucia was part of the light that spread onto the earth. Hmm. Yeah. During this apparition, Mary told Lucia to learn to read. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> You're not doing good enough in school. <laughs> you really need to step it up. This is embarrassing. Yeah, I think she really liked listening to her mom read. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of a cool thing for Mary to tell her. Mm -hmm. So on July 13th, 
three secrets were revealed by Mary. Um, by July 13th, there were two, th- two to 3,000 people there at the Cove of Peace. Wait, what were the secrets? Well, I'm going to tell oh, you. Oh, okay. There's secrets, Sarah. <laughs> okay, There's Jesus, secrets. sorry. <laughs> so, and I'm not quite sure after reading, uh, researching all this, why they're called secrets, but um, the last secret was kept secret. <laughs> oh, till like uh, the year 2000. Oh. Yeah, I'll get to that. Okay. So lots and lots of people were there this time. They recited the rosary many times, um, all of a sudden. So these apparitions would happen at noon or thereabouts. Um, Around midday, Lucia said, take off your hat. She doesn't know why she said, take off your hats. But she said, I I see Our Lady. Um, Witnesses say that they could hear like what sounded like a horse fly, but they couldn't hear any words during this apparition, obviously. Hmm. Um, Lucia said, I wish for you to tell us who you are and to perform a miracle for all to see so everyone will believe. Um, At this point, there were many believers, but there were many other people who obviously did not believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Many were asking for some kind of sign that it was real. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary said, you need to continue to come each month. And in October, I will tell you who I am and perform a miracle. She opened her hands, and this is where the first secret comes into play. She opened her hands and the children saw a vision of hell that looked like a sea of fire. Um, They could see people burning in hot embers and like a, you know, just a a mess. Um, Scared the hell out of them. She said, yeah. She said, you see hell here where souls of poor sinners go. God wants to establish establish the devotion to my immaculate heart. If this happens, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war will end. If they do not, another worse one will occur. So in this secret, she was prophesizing um, more wars. Um, the Cold War, um, obviously World War II, mm-hmm. World War II being much worse than World War One, not only with um, the Holocaust, but um, all the other people that died. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was prophesizing World War II. And uh, to prevent this, I asked for the consecration of Rus- Russia. So that's where the consecration of Russia comes in. Um, The second secret, she says, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. The Holy Father, the Pope, which we didn't know who that Pope was at the time, will consecrate Russia to me. So in this secret, she's giving us um, a foreshadowing of the Pope who will consecrate her immaculate heart to Russia. And that is my guy, the Pope, um, that was born on May 18th, 1920. And that's Pope John Paul II. Yep, your favorite guy. I love John Paul II. You are the one who uh, recommended that we talk about him in episode yeah. 11. Yes, I love that that whole life story of him. He did so many great things. Um, and then, so the third secret, this wasn't revealed until John Paul II came to the beatification. So I'm giving some stuff away here. 
the beatification of Jacinta and Francisco on May 13, 2000. She revealed that a Holy Father or a Pope would be assassinated. That was her third secret. But John Paul II is the one that gave that secret in 2000. Mm, okay. Okay. All right. So that was a fun activity for those kids on uh, July 13th. <laughs> right. They were scared to death of what they saw, and that made them pray more. It made them preach more. It made them um, tell everybody that they needed to say the rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, on August 15th or August 13th, the um, apparition was delayed because this is a huge part of the story. Um, the administrator of Algerstral, which I'm guessing is like um, the governor or something that that would how we relate it to. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally kidnapped the kids. What? Yeah. The day before he knew that they were going to go to the cove again. And he picked them up and told their dad that, um, oh, I'm just going to take them in the wagon because it's a lot quicker than trying to fight the crowds on the road. He put them in jail. And <laughs> he, yeah, he put them in this horrible, dark, damp cell, the three of them. <laughs> and he threatened them with he threatened them with going to hell. He threatened them with torture and death. Oh, my God. No, these poor kids. But. Francisco just said, you know what? If you're going to kill me, that's fine. That means I'm just going to go up. I'm going to heaven anyway. So you can do what you want. But the reason he was threatening them was he wanted to know what the third secret was. Oh, so it wasn't that he thought they were lying. I don't think so. Right. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. So he didn't get his way, and many of um, the people that found out what he did were angry because there were about 6,000 people there for that apparition that day. They were in the field, and a flash of light came. Uh, They described it as a small cloud floated down to the tree that she would sit on for these. A moment later, it rose again. I mean, she didn't stay because those kids weren't there. Yeah. So then on August 19th, just six days later, the kids were walking and playing till they ended up in a hollow called Valenos. Um, There were olive trees and azaneras trees. Um, Mary appeared to them, told them that they will build a chapel for her and to continue coming on the 13th. I thought it was cool that she found them. Mm Mm-hmm. After missing the 13th. Yeah. And then another one, and this is kind of for Liz. I think she's going to like this one. Um, On the way home from that apparition, Lucia and them were walking and she looked down and found a huge, heavy piece of rope. They noticed how much it hurt to pick up. Um, So they decided since it's hurt a lot, they were going, when they touched it, they were going to split it up and use it as hair shirts. So that they- So that they can it's add such a their- visceral reaction air <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> yeah. I like it's how you even worse hair shirts shirt squared. <laughs> I like how you prefaced it as like a fun little cute little detail. I was like, oh, maybe it's like a cute little like nice pagan connection. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, torture. Um 
so they used it as their as their hair shirt for adding to their suffering. Fun. Um, yeah, I thought you'd like. <laughs> Uh, the apparition on September 13th, the roads were full of pilgrims. So with the crowds getting bigger and bigger, at noon, the crowd saw a luminous globe that moved from east to west. Then the light vanished after a time. That's what the crowd saw. What the children saw were Mary. She didn't speak this time. She gave them three images. Um, oh, wait, she did speak to them. She said, continue to say the rosary and bring it unto the war. In October, our Lord will come also, and Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and St. Joseph with the child Jesus. And then she said, God is content with your sacrifices, but does not want you to sleep with the rope. <laughs> Wrapped her, like, tied around you. Wear it only during the day. Oh, okay. yeah, because they they did talk about how hard it was for them to sleep <laughs> with <people laughs> next to their skin. So I thought that was nice that she let them off the hook for the nighttime thing. Yeah. Yeah. October 13th then was the um, what they call the miracle of the sun mm-hmm. apparition. Uh, it had rained all night and continued raining that same day. There's said to be 70,000 people there that were packed between the road and the Azanera tree, which is the tree that Mary um, perched on. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's the right word. <laughs> like a little bird. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone had umbrellas. It was cold. It was muddy. It was raining. And all I can think of when I see the picture or visualize it is what Woodstock might have looked like. Mm -hmm. they were all gathered to see a vision of mary (laughs) right so the opposite of woodstock (laughs) there was a day during the three-day music festival of woodstock where it rained yeah (laughs) so yeah everyone was covered with mud um lucia said put down the umbrellas they all put down their umbrellas even though it was raining um Those near Lucia reported that her face was flushed and transparently beautiful. Lucia said, what do you want of me? Mary said, tell them to build a chapel here in my honor. I am the lady of the rosary. Incidentally, the lady of the rosary was a statue at Lucia's church when she received her first Holy Communion. And she told the story of after her communion, she sat and kneeled to this statue for hours to the point where her mom said, come on, it's time to go home. (laughs) Um, And during those prayers, she asked the lady of the rosary to make her a saint. Wow. Yeah. Tell them. So Mary continued, pray the rosary every day. Then the lady opened her hands, and this is an account from T. Marto, the father of Francisco and Jacinta. The rain stopped. We looked easily at the sun. It turned different colors, and it seemed to dance. The sun shook and trembled, and then it looked like a wheel of fire plummeting toward us. Um, many people witnessed this in the, in the sky. Um, Even from her village that was um, far away, people were witnessing it. They also talked about how scared everyone was. People were yelling, oh, my God, we're going to die when they saw that big big old ball of sun coming toward them. 
the three kids saw three tableaus, one after the other, after this son did its dance and fall. No one else could see it. They, the, all the onlookers could see the sun, but not what the three kids saw. They saw a picture of the Holy Family that would be Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. They saw Our Lady of Sorrows, and they saw Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Afterwards, when the sun returned to normal in the sky, everyone's clothes were dry as if it had not rained. I wow. love that story. Uh, the miracle was confirmed by secular journalists who were actually there to report on it and were just assuming that they were going to be reporting on a big hoax. Mm-hmm. In her apparitions, Mary repeated she wished her immaculate heart be consecrated to Russia, then a communist country. In the end, my immaculate heart will prevail. So John Paul II was born May 18, 1920. He succeeded in ending communism in Russia through Boris Yeltsin, who banned it in 1991. Francisco and Jacinta both died from the Spanish flu. Uh-huh. Francisco, uh, yeah, Francisco first in 1919. Um, Francisco accepted his suffering. Um, he died at home. Every time someone, you know, said, what can we do? How can we help? He said, I'm fine. I'm I'm going to heaven soon. Mary's coming for me. Oh, <laughs> oh much faith. and couldn't he and all of them they couldn't wait to get to heaven Jacinta on the other hand she she suffered a lot more she had the Spanish flu also and died in 1920 a year later so both both uh, or their parents lost both their kids within a year Um, she was hospitalized two different times and um, apparently Mary appeared to her um, the second visit to the hospital Jacinta knew she was going to die. She knew she was going to die the second visit to the hospital. Um, they were both buried in a in a cemetery in Aljustrel, their their home. Um, but years later, their bodies were exhumed. Um, and when Jacinta's body was exhumed, her face was found to be incorrupt. Nice. Yeah, Francisco was bones. But her face. <laughs> Francisco gets the short end of the stick every at every single possible <laughs> opportunity in the story. Right. He's uh, my favorite too. And you have to I love I'm, an underdog. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that you'll post the picture, Sarah, of the three of them on Instagram yeah. because yeah. it really it's cute. Um, they were actually um then buried in the basilica. Um, that they built there in by the shrine where Mary appeared. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lucia lived as a Carmelite nun. She suffered with illness for many years. She was blind. She was deaf. Um, she lived in solitude as the nun, as a Carmelite nun is known to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing is though, that she, um, and Pope John Paul II met a couple times. He went to visit her. They both suffered a lot of illness, um, but they were great friends. I thought that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, she died at 97 after a long drawn out illness. Um, so she was probably really happy to get to heaven as well. Um, John Paul II 
whose attempted assassination was prophesied by Mary, um, believes that Our Lady saved him from um, the assassination attempt. The bullets were really close to vital organs of his, and he was very near death, but he believes that um, Mary grabbed those bullets and kept him alive. Um, and he wasn't he, that nun caught the assassin? Do you remember that? No. His, his, his attempted assassin was detained by a nun. <laughs> <laughs> Ran him down. Yep. <laughs> um, he had, then Pope John Paul, he took those bullets to the shrine and he placed them on her altar. And um, later they were put inside her crown, the statue. That's and that's kind of baller. Oh, it's so cool. I would love to go and see it. So if you ever are at the shrine, um, you can look for the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very Catholic sentence. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is my story. I know I probably missed out on a lot, but I um, feel like I talked a long time. And um, I really, oh, also I was going to say there's some really neat YouTube videos. If you type in Aljustral. Um, they give you a video of what the shrine looks like now. And obviously many miracles have been performed there for people that go and visit. Mm -hmm. Well, you did talk for a very, very, very long time. (laughs) It was nearly unbearable. Sorry. (laughs) No. So I was just going to say, if you didn't mention some of these things, I was just going to mention them at the end. Um, I thought it was cool. I read that two million pilgrims visited the shrine in the decade following the apparitions. Um, And the official position of the church on the apparitions was stated in October of 1930 by the Bishop of Leria Fatima, who said, in considerations made known and others for which for reason of brevity we omit humbly invoking the divine spirit and placing ourselves under the protection of the most holy virgin and after hearing the opinions of our reverend advisors in this diocese we hereby one declare worthy of belief the visions of the shepherd children in the Cobadaidia parish of Fatima in this diocese from 13 May to 13 October 1917 and to permit officially the belief of Our Lady of Fatima. So that was the like official document the bishops uh, released. And then I also wanted to mention that Lucia is a servant of God now, which is the step before becoming a uh, venerable. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So it means that the cause for her one day becoming a saint has been brought before some kind of authority. Okay. Yeah. So the process has begun. And that makes sense too, because it hasn't, she hasn't been dead that long. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So she gave me St. Therese vibes Hmm. with the, like really wanting to be a saint ever since she was a kid. St. Therese was that way too. Yes, and that was mentioned. Um, they compared that a little bit in uh, one of the books I read. Yeah, the modern saints always get me because it's like, oh, people have elevators and cars and umbrellas, and well, I guess they had umbrellas for a while. <laughs> but I kept you know having I mean. to stop myself that 
as uh, the story was going on, I'm picturing like the 1600s and everything's like dirt roads and stuff. Like, no, like every time you said umbrella, I'm like, no, we have technology. Yeah. 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 We have like guns and tanks. Like it's World War One. Wait, do they have tanks yeah. in World War One, or was that only World War Two? I don't know. Cut that know. out. <laughs> That's been scrubbed from my brain a long time ago. <laughs> True. I'm not a middle-aged man, so I'm not obsessed with World War Two history. Uh, apparently, you have to pick between World War Two <laughs> and uh, like smoking meat. As soon as you turn forty, if mm-hmm. you're a man, yeah, those are your two interests. So. <laughs> so my husband is 57 and he's not interested in the wars but what is he interested in uh <laughs> smoking meat oh yeah that yeah smoking see he got a big one <laughs> he literally has a smoker he smoked that the turkey my dad. on thanksgiving he's got two of them two smokers, How many smokers does your dad have Liz? He has one, but he put flames on it. So I think he counts for two. <laughs> Wait, he like painted flames on it? He got a decal that he put on the outside. It has flames. Like a Hot Wheels car. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> that was a great story. Thank you for telling that story and doing all the work because I didn't feel like it. <laughs> I give you guys credit. I don't know how you do all that work. I mean, it takes a good amount of time. You have to be passionate about what you're uh, researching. Yep. Yeah. There've been times where I've been, I've started and I've gotten a bit into the story and I'm just not feeling yeah. it and I have to stop and pick something else. Hmm. That was yep. me today. So. Yeah. It's like, if I'm not excited about it, then how is anybody else going to care about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll look forward to Liz's story because I always um, get a kick out of um, listening to the the witchy side of things as well. I think it's neat how you guys like have different beliefs about things and you're just gelling together. Coincidentally, <laughs> not only connected through visions, but uh, prophecies about World War One and Two. Oh, are nice. part of my story. So nice coincidence. Nice. Awesome. I can't wait. But you're leaving. Got to get to the store and get food. Mm -hmm. Important things. Yeah. But then I only have uh, two days to wait till I can hear your podcast. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast. We'll see you soon. Talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. I had every intention up until 6 p.m. yesterday mm-hmm. to talk about witch trials in Portugal and uh-huh. the Portuguese Inquisition. I mean, all of my research had been on on it. I had multiple tabs pulled up. I had attempted to construct some kind of an outline. And just as I started writing it and realizing that like stuff wasn't connecting, I would pull up other sources and they would contradict the stuff that I already had. So I would mm. get another source and it would contradict it. And it's like, it is 6 PM the day before I do not have the patience to deal with this. And yeah. like you said, my energy for the entire subject was just waning yeah. the second. So, uh, I 
threw everything away for now. <laughs> yeah. He stuck a pin in it um, and panicked during my lunch break yesterday <laughs> at work in the middle of the night, uh, trying to find something online that I could talk about, just plugging in as many search terms as I could, trying to come across something. Uh, found something, researched it until I passed out last night, and then I have been writing since I woke up this morning. Nice. So I'm going to talk about visions, prophecies, specifically the visions and prophecies of the legendary Brahansir of Scotland. Never heard of this person. Me either. I was like, is this fake? This feels fake. <laughs> is this ancient then- aliens again? <laughs> Uh, the Brahansir is also referred to as, and I am going to spell this because it's Gaelic, um, and I thought I could attempt to say it, and then I went online and I'm like, pronounce this name for me, and like a lot of it was breath, and I'm like, mm, no, Mm-mm-mm. that's not coming out of my mouth, um, <laughs> but it is C-O-I-N-N-E-A-T-H. I, I didn't retain any of that, but it okay. looks like coin neath. It's okay. not. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, obviously. Second <sighs> is uh, O-D-H-A-R. Okay. Dark Kenneth is what it means, apparently. Dark Kenneth. Mm-hmm. Um, it tickles the shit out of me because I want to be referred to as like Dark Liz. Like, well, I love that. On you are head. in my head. Well, I need it on my name badge at work. So old ladies don't talk to me anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And ask me why there are no chopped walnuts four days before Christmas. (laughs) Chop them yourself. (laughs) It's not hard to chop walnuts. Deborah, Susan, Marianne, you all came to Walmart for the exact same thing because we're Midwestern and we only make four dishes. Yep. Um... You might also come across this seer as being called Kenneth McKenzie, and that is the name that I am going to call him because it is the only one that I can pronounce. All right. Kenneth, our seer, is alleged by sources to be this popular local oral recollection of a man from the 17th century. Um, I got a wide range of dates on when he was born. Some said like the mid 1600s, some said the early 1700s, the mid 1700s. So just in that general time range, Mm -hmm. we have no solid recorded evidence of his existence, which I will unpack later, but our first and uh, like most extensive written work that mentions him is the prophecies of the Brahansir by Alexander McKenzie, which was written in 1877, about a century or two after Kenneth's death. And this is a book that I read this morning. It's only about 50 pages long. So it's more of a pamphlet than it is an actual book, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can read it online. It is 100% available in its entirety online. Cool. Um, it's claimed by Alexander in his work that it is a documentation of the oral stories in the area about Kenneth, that he has essentially taken like all of these Gaelic stories and, um, just the stuff that's being passed around. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to write all of this shit down since Mm -hmm. nobody else is doing it. I'm going to do it. 
Um, but without any real citations given outside of like, so-and-so told me that he heard this once, it's really <laughs> easy to see how you can waffle on whether the Brahansir was real or he was not real. Mm-hmm. It's in Alexander's work that we get uh, background for Kenneth. Um, I didn't look up how to say that. I'm sorry. He is born in, looks like, Oog. <laughs> okay. I know it's not though. U I G. U I. What? I don't know. <laughs> we gave it the college try. Yeah, we um, did our best. We did it. We gave it the S I U C try, <laughs> which is pretty much the bare minimum of a college try. So you put the name at the top of your paper, try. Yep. He is born there in that range of dates that I gave, and he later ends up settling as a laborer in the estates around Brahan Castle, the seat of the Seaforth family, who will be important later. In this time, he is ostensibly just throwing out big earth shattering prophecies for everybody whenever he's got some downtime between his farm labor i guess okay good for him yeah he has the ability to foretell the future because he has something known as the second sight which personally my first encounter with this concept was in ya novels Um, more or less the way I understand it, it's like seeing another layer of the world that most people can't see the supernatural layer of the world, which can lead a person to going insane or in Kenneth's case can lead to a claim because he can actually harness it. So this is, is this like a Celtic thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I think site 100%. Yeah, I remember I had a book of Celtic myths when I was a kid. Well, I still have it. I don't know why I'm talking like I gave it away or something. I would never. But it was like there was a story in the book about a girl who uh, was kidnapped by fairies. And then she she had the second sight, but she only had it in one eye. So when she like she covered one eye and then she could see it, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was fascinating. I love that. Yeah. So this is like the exact same kind of thing. And it's going to have its own stipulation of how the second sight works. Okay, Like her having to cover one eye. Right. Um, He has a thing that he has to do. Okay. Use it. Um. There are several short stories about how Kenneth got his second sight, the first of which is very dance macabre. Mm. Um, So one night when Kenneth is 18, because we know absolutely nothing about him being a kid at all, his mom is watching over the cows on the side of a ridge, which overlooks this burying ground. And as she is sitting there, she sees at, quote, about the still hour of midnight, the whole of the graves in the burying ground opening and a vast multitude of people of every age from the newly born babe to the gray haired sage rising and going away in every conceivable direction. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. No. What, what would you even do if you were just like 
I'm thinking specific specifically of the um, cemetery in Murphy that's next to a Pizza Hut. So, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, being at the Pizza Hut in the parking lot, <laughs> looking over at the cemetery, if everyone just stood the fuck up out of their graves and wandered off with your pizza in your hand, you're like, "Are you shitting my dick?" <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> yes. So she did what I would have done, which is stand there and see what the fuck happens after. Mm. And she just waits. She's like, did I hallucinate this? No, because all the graves are still open. Um, she's like, what the what's going on? Um, so about an hour later, um, and she's absolutely wrapped by what's going on. Um, these spirits start to make their way back to their graves. And once they get back in their grave, the grave covers itself back up like nothing happened. Oh, geez, Louise. But she notices as this continues that like there's one grave that just hasn't been covered back up. Time passes, time passes, time passes. Everyone's back in their graves, but this one grave is still open. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? I really want to know what the fuck is going on right mm-hmm. now. So I'm going to hurry my ass down there to that open grave. And I am going to see who tries to get in it. No way. <laughs> Absolutely not. So she just leaves her gals to their business and she goes down there. <laughs> she leaves her pizza on top of her car. <laughs> <laughs> and wanders over. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the modern version of the story. <laughs> While she is over there, she doesn't have to wait long, only a minute or two. Um, She sees a fair lady coming from the north. Um, And this woman sweeps in in a rush toward the grave and says, you know, move, bitch, get out the way. Like, I got to get back in my grave. Mm -hmm. Um, Not really. Uh, (laughs) But pretty much like, hey, like, boof. I need in there like mm-hmm. now this is urgent <laughs> Please. <laughs> and Kenneth's mom says mm, no I don't think so um you don't get to go back in your grave until I know what you were doing so like what the fuck are you up to where have you been why are you not in your grave right um and the lady is like I was doing ghost stuff I guess <laughs> I am from Norway. I am the daughter of a king. I died. All these guys, local, they got back real fast. I had to go all the way to fucking Norway and hike my ass back. Okay, I'm tired. Just let me go in my grave now. Okay. Kenneth's mom's like, hmm, I don't know. Um, and so the lady's like, you know what? I'll, I'll make you a trade. I will make you a trade. I will point you in the direction of this really cool magic rock in a lake uh, that you can give your son if you let me go back in my grave. And okay. his mom's like, deal. I am all about magic rocks. <laughs> so she gives this magic rock to her son, and this rock is the source of Kenneth's abilities. So not covering up one eye, but um, you have to look through the hole in the center of the stone. Um, and there's still very uh, special things. They're called hag stones now, or like fairy stones. Mm-hmm. They have like natural holes through them. Mm. It's one of those. If he looks through it, he can see the future and he can use Whoa. his second sight. Wow. Yes, 
All because his mom was very nosy to the point of like the danger of her like mortal soul. Mom did not get in the car with her pizza and taxi. <laughs> she wandered over to the graveyard at 11 at night. It's like, the fuck is going on here? Right. Good for her. Yeah. I wrote down that I need to figure out if the like Irish and Scottish have a thing about circles. Um, because like the stone with a hole in it, we've talked mm. about fairy rings before. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I literally cannot think about Ashley without thinking about kayaking with Ashley at Devil's Kitchen, where like when the water gets low and the trees all stick out the bottom, mm-hmm. um, there's one that has a hole in it. And mm. uh, she points it out all the time. So hi, Ashley, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm thinking about you and your tiny little baby all the time. <laughs> Very cute babies. Little tiny, little tiny boys. Mm -hmm. Anyway, another origin story for this stone and this gift of second sight is that Kenneth's boss's wife, farmer's wife, was demanding. And so he just kept teasing her with his, quote, natural wit until she was like, you know what? I just want to kill this son of a bitch because he makes me uncomfortable and he makes me annoyed and I okay. don't like it anymore. Wait, she wanted to kill her husband or she wanted to kill Kenneth? Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pronouns being thrown around right there. Um, but yeah, essentially she's just bossy and he's like, mm, you're silly. That's funny. <laughs> But yeah, she's just like, I cannot deal with this weirdo in my life anymore. So one day, the farmer sends Kenneth out to cut peat. Um, And in the meantime, the farmer's wife poisons the dinner that Kenneth will later return to. Okay. At the end of the day, though, Kenneth is too tired from work to eat and passes out for the night, waking up to a stone sitting on his chest. Hmm. When he looks through it, because there's a hole in it, he sees his intended fate in the plans of the farmer's wife. But because any semi-rational person would question looking through a rock and hallucinating something, <laughs> um, he decides to test if his dinner is actually really poisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and on theme with the Bell Witch story, he gets himself an animal, except this isn't a stray cat. It is his beloved Collie, Aww. who, when given the food, quote, writhed and died in the greatest agony. Oh, my God. He's like, well, that answers that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was right. <laughs> Yeah, I just, imagine if he didn't have a dog on hand. If the only thing was like the neighbor boy, six years old next door, he's just like, "Hey, Timmy, come here. I gotta, I gotta test a hypothesis. I got a free meal for you, right here. Just lick it clean." Why would you make your dog eat something you thought was poison? That's fucked up. What the fuck, Kenneth? I truly have no idea how some people approach their pets. Just sitting in the um. The this is an aside, but sitting in the break room at a Walmart listening to some of my coworkers, um, one of them had a bandage one day, and there everyone else is like, Oh, what happened to you? And he's like, Oh, my dog bit me, and no shit. Three people immediately asked, So you shot him, right? And it's like, What? What? Why would you do that? Some people literally like I 
I don't know. Like, what is it? Some people just like I had a neighbor who would feed his dog beer every day. Like, it's just so strange to me. But yeah, yeah, the guy was just like, no, like I instigated. I was roughhousing with my dog. I'm fine. Right. Anyway, yeah. Um, I imagine Kenneth is just one of those people that I don't <laughs> yeah. understand that um, yeah. a pet is not a child to them. Right. Yeah. Which I, I don't even understand that no, mentality that at all. Mentality. Nope. Yeah. If it's not your kid, what is it? Right. Exactly. If it's not a family member, right, then what are you even doing? Like, if you don't care about the animal, why don't you have, why do you have one? Yeah. I will never wrap my head around that mindset. (sighs) Yeah. Um, An alternate version of this tale is that the farmer's wife is actually Kenneth's wife. So we're subtracting characters from the equation Mm -hmm. Um, and that she also does not know the food is poisoned. So it was going to be a tragedy of like an enemy poison the food that the wife was going to bring to him. And she was unknowingly going to kill her own husband Mm -hmm. and have to live with that. Um. Again, in this story, Kenneth wakes up with a stone that saves him. And in that version, it's mentioned that looking through the stone permanently blinds him in one eye. The one that he looked through. Um, So there is like a one eye thing that I've seen a few places in Celtic mythology. Which is also interesting because it makes me think of Odin and, you know, losing his eye for... Mm -hmm. um, like all of that knowledge. Um, a lot of Kenneth's prophecies, he goes on to declare as a result of like, occasionally just looking through the stone. I imagine he gets born on Friday and he's like, what's going on in the weird little spirit world? Yeah. Um, oh no, our table. <laughs> it's broken. <laughs> um, these prophecies deal with new pathways being developed, these quote-unquote prophecies being fulfilled by canals and bridges and road developments in the many years since Kenneth's time. Hmm. Um, so a lot of them are very small, very simple like that, like boats will be able to get from here to here, or this hill will be covered in ribbons, which is taken to mean like it will be covered in roads. Hmm. Um, so a lot of very, very tiny things like that. Um, even Alexander, the author of the book is upfront that it wouldn't have taken the second sight to predict a lot of the things that Kenneth predicts. He's like, oh no, like we're going to develop the country. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Wow. I like how he had like spectacular visions about like infrastructure. (laughs) We're going to build a bridge. (laughs) No way. He mentions depopulation of the area and things like that. Um, Anyone paying attention to world affairs in the slightest could have seen those things coming. Um, Alexander does give another prophecy right after this, though, and claims that no amount of natural penetration and shrewdness on Kenneth's part could have assisted him in prophesying loosely that um, the day would come when Tom Nahurik, I'm going to guess, would be under lock and key, the fairy secured within. And that is a hill um, where Alexander says a cemetery now sits on top, which is a Mm. fulfillment of the prophecy. Okay. Um, Alexander lists a good hundred of these tiny prophecies. He doesn't even take time to like 
necessarily figure out what all of them are or like how they could have come to be because he'll he'll be like here's like seven of them just back to back here you go mm-hmm. um and it'll just be like a snow white fox will be killed over in this part of the country <laughs> yeah. or will enter an uneasy period when blank happens when mm-hmm. blank happens soldiers will march through the area this big old rock right here is gonna magically disappear overnight <laughs> um the rock doesn't disappear by the way mm. um so alexander says but uh like a lot of the stuff either doesn't happen alexander doesn't say that it happens or it's extremely generic and it would be like hard to be like hey have you guys ever killed like a snow white fox in that <laughs> part of the country he's like pull everybody <laughs> right <laughs> yeah how are you gonna figure that out <laughs> and then it didn't like no weight was attached to it as far as i'm concerned. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. it'll just happen <laughs> i i could predict dumb shit like that you know uh on a Thursday of next year, uh, somebody is going to hit a, a hawk with their car on I-57. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of his more famous prophecies is about a battle. And the story goes that when he is passing over a field in, I did not look up how to say this. Um, it looks like Kuladin, C-U-L-L-O-D-E-N. He exclaims out of nowhere that the, quote, bleak moor will, ere many generations pass away, be stained with the best blood of the highlands. Glad am I that I will not see that day, for it will be a fearful period. Heads will be lopped off by the score, and no mercy will be shown or quarter given on either side, end quote. Yikes. This is commonly accepted to be a reference to the Battle of Culloden. Um, in the mid 1700s. Oh, so it did happen. It did come to pass 100%. And it did take place like in this, a battlefield was in that war. Wow. Um, another interesting one in Alexander's book is that Kenneth said that when a magpie made a nest for three successive years in the gable of the church of Farintosh, once the church was full for service, it would collapse on the congregants did it people were terrified uh (laughs) his book goes on when a magpie did build the nest in the church of farintosh um that they were so scared that during an over full service where i guess they had like connected the pews by putting like planks down over the gaps between them so more people could sit in the room um fire hazard (laughs) yeah but one of the makeshift, like these boards was weak and snapped under the weight of the people. Everyone, oh, great heavens. Yes. <laughs> but the loud bang, and they've all been expecting like this prophecy to come true at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they all got up and in their rush to flee the building, they actually trampled several people to serious <gasps> injury. Oh, my God. So um, I thought it was neat because it showed that Kenneth's prophecies were and still are well-known and orally circulated, but how people can see them in like any event um, and to like really calamitous effect, because had they not known about that prophecy, they never would have trampled each other to death. Yeah. 
that just would have been like, oh, you know, Sally accidentally was too fat and made the board snap. Now right. we're all going to have a good chuckle at church. Right. That's the danger of prophecy. It always is, is whenever you, you claim to be a prophet, people like sometimes it, it causes much more damage and chaos than if you would have just kept it to yourself. It's so scary. It is. Um, there are several family prophecies that are too long for me to spend time with. Um, they each have like 12 moving parts within them. Um, when this happens and this happens and this exists and this man lives here and this event comes to pass, then this thing will happen to this family. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of like how many moving parts there can be in one of Guinness prophecies is um, about the existence of trains coming to be or what people say is um, trains. Um, and the prophecy says that, you know, a man with two thumbs from this place needs to exist. And another man with two belly buttons from this place needs to exist. And what? like a slew of these other things, like they all have to come to pass for uh, quote, unbridled chariots carrying soldiers to appear. Now, Alexander says that, um, these things all do happen. Like people have claimed like, Oh, I saw the man with two thumbs. I saw the the guy with uh, two belly buttons. Mm -hmm. Um, and so iron horses or trains become a thing. Um, but he says uh, he is not sure to what the soldiers refer yet. Remember, hmm. he's writing in the um, the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, the, fa- uh, the family prophecies are similarly intricate with weird details. Um, they'll have details like, quote, when foxes are born in this castle or when a cow gives birth on the top floor of the castle tower. I really don't know what it is about <laughs> Kenneth and animals giving birth in castles, but it comes up like seven times. And that's a big Celtic thing, too. Sorry, I keep saying that. I know no, it's Scottish, but... It's always the animals, like the Celtic saint ones are the, this, those stories are the same way. It's like, if a cow is in a river, then (laughs) the river is purified (laughs) or something. It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. It's so Celtic that I kept writing like Irish a million times and I thought it was Irish. And then I think somebody said Scottish and now I'm just in that point that it's like, I don't even remember. I think it's Scottish. <laughs> right. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but it says like lock everywhere yeah. instead of like lake. So I'm yeah. I'm guessing. But yeah, lots of animal stuff. Um, mm. And it's really funny whenever um, he'd be like, yeah, and this person told me that this thing did come to pass because um, the... I, the cow one is particularly funny that it's like, you would not believe it, but a cow actually did give birth the top floor of a castle tower. (laughs) Hear me out. So it was abandoned, this particular castle tower. Okay. This farmer was like, Hey, I'm going to use this tower for my stuff. He's like, I'm going to put hay in the very top of it. Cause that makes sense. Um, (laughs) So he did, but it left a trail of hay all up the stairs. So a pregnant cow wandering by saw the hay leading up the stairs and followed it all the way up there. But because it was pregnant, it could not get back down. Therefore, it had birth at the top of the tower. And 
the prophecy is true. <laughs> the cow was like, this is nice. <laughs> Ooh, this shit, nice. She thought it was like her own like private suite. <laughs> she wow. got up there all the fucking hay. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> no. We did way. it, Bertha. <laughs> <laughs> we made it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, how nice. Mm-hmm. Um, another technological themed prophecy is that, quote, fire and water will run in streams through all the streets and lanes of Inverness, mm-hmm. end quote. And Alexander says that that eluded them for a while that nobody had any idea what the fuck Kenneth was talking about up until they put water and gas lines through the city oh okay like, that makes sense to us so mm-hmm. um clearly alexander cannot tell us if a prophecy came true or not if the prophecy was fulfilled after his book came out in the 1800s or after his death um so people online do do a lot of work um taking these prophecies and trying to tie them to more recent events and um, I've seen them tied to World Wars One and Two, um, for example. And the most popular of those is that uh, when the River Ness can be crossed in five places dry shod, disaster would strike the world. Was the prophecy? Wow! And. This particular website said that there was a brief period of time where um, there were five bridges in um, Ness um, because one had been condemned, but they had like constructed another bridge to like get rid of it, replace it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that was August of 1939, which was one month before Hitler invaded Poland. Wow. I love stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Another was, and I didn't write this down, so I'm kind of doing this from memory. Um, Something about how uh, when there were multiple spires of like this one church, um, when they'd finally been added, ships would sail overhead and would anchor themselves to them. Hmm. Um, And airships like later became a thing. Um, and I think it was after world war one that an airship was flying over this particular church in the prophecy and it tried to drop something and it accidentally got tangled up in the church. And so it ended up being anchored to the church instead of <laughs> what it was trying to anchor. It's okay. To. Huh. They're like, that's Kenneth's prophecy right there. I mean, oh, yeah. Well, airship. What else would you think? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but, you know, whenever she started talking about, um, your mom started talking about, like, the visions of the war and, like, worse things to come. I'm like, <laughs> I like this. Nice yeah. connection. I love connections. Me too. Um, the last prophecy that I'm going to talk about, the big one goes hand in hand with Kenneth's downfall and his execution Uh as he is executed um, because it's very rare that you have that much power and or a magical person outside of being Christian and you don't get executed. So Mm -hmm. 
What I found reading Alexander's book is that sources um, online seem to be conflating several versions of Kenneth's death that Alexander gives. So he will give like all of the contradictory versions. He'll be like, so-and-so told me this, so-and-so told me this, so-and-so told me this. And you can see how like they're all like three-fourths of the way through and then they like bury. Mm-hmm. Um, so he won't... Um, like synthesize everything he definitely is like we're gonna take these one at a time so you can see all the differences i prefer that yes so online i kept getting this one version and then every time i would read another of his like they never matched up exactly Mm -hmm. so it seems like these people are just smushing them all together Mm -hmm. um so the first version is this that Lord Seaforth, and these are the people I mentioned at the beginning from Brahan Castle, the people um, who live there. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the husband of Isabella Seaforth, and he departs one day to visit Paris for business. He leaves his wife at home and he stays gone for a while. Mm-hmm. And so his wife starts to get really, really worried because he's been gone a very long time. It's been months. She hasn't received any letters from him. And so she decides to go to Kenneth, who has this reputation as a seer, to see if he can tell her anything about um, her husband. Is he okay? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Kenneth arrives at the castle, presents himself to Isabella, and she's like, so where the fuck is my husband? Is he alive? What's what's happening? What's going on? Just pestering him. Um, And Kenneth puts a stone to his eye. He laughs very loudly and he says, quote, fear not for your Lord. He is safe and sound, well and hearty, merry and happy. This does not satisfy Isabella because if he's safe and sound, then why the fuck is he not sent her any letters at all for months? She's like, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. Something about this is not adding up. It's all fishy. Yes. So. She keeps pressing Kenneth for more information. She's like, like, good. He's in good fucking health. Like, give me some more information Mm -hmm. um, to go off of. And Kenneth says, quote, let it suffice you to know that your Lord is well and merry. But Isabella demands, where is he? With whom is he? And is he making any preparations for coming home? Mm. Kenneth says, quote, your Lord is in a magnificent room in very fine company and far too agreeably employed at present to think of leaving Paris, end quote. And this hurts Isabella a lot to hear because it's like he's having such a good time that like he can't even let me know he's OK. Like he's just disappeared for months. Like right. Really hurts my fucking feelings. Right. Like that's fucked. Um, so she keeps bribing and prodding Kenneth for more information about exactly what it is her husband is up to up in, over in Paris. And finally, over dinner, after Kenneth gets a little soused um, <laughs> and Isabella badgers him again, he loudly tells the entire room, quote, as you will know that which will make you unhappy, I must tell you the truth. My Lord seems to have a little thought of you or of his children or of his Highland home. I saw him in a gay gilded room, grandly decked out with velvets, with silks and cloth of gold, and on his knees before a fair lady, his arm around her waist and her hand pressed to his lips. Mm. End quote. And Isabella is both floored 
and absolutely fucking embarrassed that Kenneth would not only say this, but say it in front of everyone in the entire room. Yep. Um, And whether he is telling the truth or he's a fraud and he's making all of this up, he just announced that Isabella's husband is a cheater. Mm -hmm. Lord Seaforth cheats on his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is definitely going to get around. And Isabella knows that she's like, there's no fucking way that they're not going to step out of this room and immediately go gossip to somebody. Right. So my reputation is ruined. My husband's reputation is ruined. Um, and she is really angry that he would abuse their hospitality like that. Like we let you into like the castle, giving you dinner, giving you wine and, you decide to repay me by embarrassing the absolute hell out of me. Oh, geez. So she secures his execution, does everything she can to like defraud him and make sure that he um, ends up at the gallows. Mm-hmm. And at the gallows, Kenneth holds his stone to his eye and prophesies that the Seaforth line will come to an end in a man who is deaf and dumb and whose sons have all died. Um, And I didn't have enough time to write down the rest of that. But Alexander does talk about how um, it is proven that the Seaforth line does end in a man who, while he is born with all his uh, senses, he has, um, I think it's scarlet fever when he's away at school and he does lose his hearing. And for a while he stops speaking because he loses his son's. Um, but the story about him losing his hearing and the scarlet fever is um, really haunting um, that Alexander gives. He talks about how Seaforth, this um, this last final um, Seaforth, is there sick with scarlet fever with all of the other like boys from the school. And as he is laying there in the middle of the night, like this old woman comes into the room with, I can't remember what it is. I want to say it's like a mallet or a hammer. (gasps) Oh my God. (laughs) And she just walks up to each of them and he's just like petrified. He can't move. He's sick. And she just starts like striking boys in the head. (sighs) Um, And other ones she will leave alone. And some of them, she'll grab and she comes up to him um, and she grabs him by the ears and just stares at him. And then finally she leaves. And it's uh, said that over the next couple of weeks, they find out that even though most people have like discounted, this is like a fever dream that he had that every boy he said who got struck in the head um, died Every boy who was left untouched recovered from scarlet fever and everyone who was handled like he was um, lost something to it. Like he lost his hearing. Oh my so, God. Yeah. It was a really cool story. In the movie version of this story, that would be the ghost lady from Norway. Mm-hmm. It, and it would all be connected. It would, it would have to like all circle back like that. Here we go again. Right in a movie. <laughs> That's such a like I can see that so clearly in my head. Just Me too. How petrifying that would be as yep. someone who has like sleep paralysis. Oh yeah. Terrifying. Yep. Um, 
anyway, he, uh, Kenneth back to Kenneth, he gives this prophecy about, you know, like the downfall of her household. Um, and then he pitches his stone into a lake and he is hanged. And this version tends to be conflated with the next version that I'm going to give. Um, in the conflated story, you get like all of the events of the first one. So the same thing about like the dinner, the getting drunk, the admitting that your husband is cheating on you. Um, but you get the execution scene of the second story. So in the second story, Kenneth is at a party. And when someone compliments all the gentleman's children that are running around, he makes a shitty comment about them <sighs> instead. And the language is like 1800. So it was really hard for me to parse what the actual insult was there. Um, but either it makes its way to Isabella and like, you don't insult like the kids of the gentlemen at the party. Like that's right. not on. Um, and she's very embarrassed and she's very furious that uh, he would say something against the kids, against the, the nobility. Um, and she has him arrested for witchcraft. Um, same thing where he, you know, at his death gives that prophecy, um, but at the nest of Chanonry, he is thrown headfirst into a barrel of boiling tar. Ouch. <laughs> Not hanged. Oh my God. And the writing does note that the barrel also has stakes driven through it to make it spiked inside. Mm, um, spicy. But I, but I figured the tar probably killed him long before the spikes <laughs> got a chance. Yeah, I would think so. I think the second you go like head under in boiling tar you're probably dead yeah your body is probably overwhelmed and gone kaput i mean hopefully yes um i yeah i would rather be hanged yeah me too <laughs> it feels way more humiliating to <laughs> be drowned in a bucket <laughs> a boiling tar drowned in a hot bucket <laughs> Oh, I hate watching like tar and feathering scenes in movies and stuff. I don't know what it is about them. I don't think I've ever seen a, a scene of that, but <laughs> I mean, there yeah. definitely <laughs> is one in American Horror Story. And then another thing that's kind of similar, not quite, um, is uh, one of the deaths in Game of Thrones that mm. Daenerys instigates um, her insert spoiler here, brother. Um, but yeah, just like the molten anything on a person. I mean, yeah, just... that that would not be pleasant. No, I'm not a fan. <laughs> no, like, I don't even like imagining like having just boiling hot stuff like that you can't get off because it's sticky too. Uh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. No. And then I get like head first, like you can't breathe that in, but imagine like burning the roof of your mouth and your eyeballs, nose, your ears. Mm -hmm. no, I would hope that I would just pass the fuck out in seconds. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, boiling a boiling substance in your ear, I'm thinking would probably cause pretty quick, uh, like brain trauma. I'm hoping. Yeah. For his sake. Yeah. Um, and at least one story, Kenneth is burned at the stake. Um, I did keep reading the book after I finished writing this. 
Um, and it does mention one version of the story where Kenneth is burned um, in the barrel, I think, still. But uh, Lord Seaforth arrives back home, finds out that Isabella has condemned this man to death. And it it felt very romantic that he like hops on this horse and like rides as hard as he can to get over there to stop what's happening. It's like he literally is like just wearing himself completely to the bone, desperate mm-hmm. to get to this man. And he falls short right before he's mm. killed. And I'm like, this is weirdly romantic yeah it's a characters who have never met (laughs) yeah it's a touch uh homoerotic just a little bit in a nice way yeah i liked it but (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's probably a given (laughs) um all of this should be reminiscent of mother shipton um you know this prophet figure who straddles the line between folklore and history and whose prophecies are recorded in written record for the first time contemporary to and after the referenced events occurred. So it's very easy for people to make shit up that it's true. Um, Cause it's like, Oh yeah. And he said all these bridges were going to be built. Of course. I mean, I know that they're built right now, but he said it a hundred years ago. I can't prove it, but yeah. Um. There was not a source I came across that tried to deny this lack of evidence for Kenneth's existence outside of this oral tradition. Historians point out that no neighbors of the sea force, no priests, no anything, nobody who is keeping diaries that have survived um, reference Lady Seaforth killing a man anywhere in them. Um, they're like, nah, I feel like that would be pretty notable if like she got mad at this like wizard dude and <laughs> she's like, I'm going to burn him in tar. Right. Yeah, that seems something you would write in your diary. But the local parish priest is more concerned about like his begonias. (laughs) (laughs) Father Russell and his begonias. Yeah, he's like, I have no time for this woman's nonsense. He has to win the village fair first prize that year. Mm -hmm. It's been a priority. Right. It's been the deacon for the past 10 years. And now he it's his turn this year. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Not because he tried harder, but because the deacon died <laughs> because he murdered him. <gasps> oh, my God. This is the I subplot. can't write about murder. They'll find out about my <laughs> murder. It'll be too obvious. Whoa. See, this is the subplot of the movie. Exactly. Look at us go. <laughs> um, Bum. So in diaries, you can't find mentions of Kenneth. Um, You also can't find records of his like birth, his death or otherwise. Um, There is a Kenneth from like the 1560s. Um, So this is like a hundred years before our supposed Kenneth who was uh, tried and maybe executed for witchcraft. So they share a name and there's a little bit of a witchcraft connection between them. Um, But the story for him is that a woman named Catherine, I think her last name is Ross, has six children with a man who already had six children with his first wife. Um, But Catherine wants her children to inherit their daddy's money and not her stepkids. So she hires 26 witches to off her stepkids. Why would that ever be necessary? I don't know. It's excessive. (laughs) Like, 
either she needed a lot of juice or they were all terrible and she did not get the hint after like number 25. <laughs> oh, I didn't number even 26. think about it like that. <laughs> That's way funnier (laughs) if she went through them one by one. Going through the yellow pages. Right. (laughs) Crossing their names off one at a time. Yes. Um, Because it said that whenever these like 26 witches don't pan out, that's whenever she hires this Kenneth to poison (laughs) the kids. It's like, you really just was like, I'm going to try everything I possibly can, except for lifting a finger to do anything against these kids. (laughs) Literally. The fact that the, and the fact that the kids didn't realize anything was wrong. No. (laughs) After 26 attempts have been made on their lives. It's not that hard to kill somebody. It's really not. No. She's like, boy, this is just so difficult. (laughs) We were speaking like we have experience. (laughs) You're acting like I couldn't take the hammer under my sink and walk over to my neighbor and murder him if I felt like it. I just have impulse control. Right. Anyway, it doesn't work out with Kenneth poisoning them. Um, There is a trial, documented trial, and at least two of the witches are burned. Kenneth's fate in that case is unknown. Um, sources spin this second Kenneth a lot of ways. Um, they say that maybe he could have been a relative of our Kenneth, um, like his predecessor. Um, he could have been a foundation or influence for the Kenneth, the Brahansir myth that we have. Um, it could be that it is the right Kenneth and that everyone who's telling the story orally just fucked up and got all the dates wrong, mm. but, that creates another series of issues because um, like, I don't think the Brahan castle existed at that point quite yet. Hmm. So um, like nothing quite fits 100%. And then of course, what most people land on is that it's just a coincidence. That these two people have an extremely common name um, and that they both were into witchcraft and that there's like a forced connection. Being, right. Uh, forge there um so it is up to you what to believe but that is the story of kenneth mckenzie dark kenneth the bronzier i liked it there was so much there i love the cow <laughs> giving birth <laughs> on the top floor of the castle um i love all stories about prophecy like i loved mother shipton i loved this one i Every kind of prophecy I'm just fascinated by. Like if I had one of those stones, like if I ever find a stone with a hole in it, I'm just going to walk around with it up to my face. So what you're saying is you you would like a hag stone for like Christmas. (laughs) That'd be amazing. Ideally, though, I would find it in the wild. That is like the thing about hagstones is they're more special when you find them yourself um, and they're not like a gift or you buy them. Right. Well, I didn't know that. I said, right. Like I knew I did not know that, but that's just kind of like what I, but it makes sense. Would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure you don't go accidentally blind in one. eye. <laughs> you were trying to see the fairies though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I would love to tell everybody that, Hey, my friend, Sarah, lost her sight (laughs) to the fairies um my friend sarah is the biggest dumbass of all time 
she's a little weirdo (laughs) (laughs) no but I would like if I had that stone that like magical stone where I could see the future I would drive myself insane because Mm -hmm. I would just be constantly looking yeah I wouldn't be able to stop and I would never be able to get rid of the stone dangerous yeah so I clearly cannot be trusted with any kind of (laughs) power or like supernatural gift or anything like it would not go well for anybody which is why I don't have any gifts (laughs) I don't want to know what happens in the future like ever me neither but if I had the option I would like compulsively do it I don't think I would because I wouldn't want to know because if it was disappointing then I just know I'd kill myself right (laughs) and then what was the point right but the thing about prophecy is it's always so vague and weird if it didn't show me like rich and famous with everything (laughs) I've ever wanted in life I'd be like why am I here oh my god wow okay well I might as well throw myself in the traffic now. Might as well dive head first into boiling tar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's interesting. So I am as a person. <laughs> yeah, I get it. We had a lot more in common than I was expecting us to have. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen. And honestly, more than if I would have talked about Portugal, um, because I very much would have had to have stick to like the guys in charge of the inquisition and Mm. all of the books that they read and um, right like it would have been stuck in like just the 1700s would have been so removed from everything i would have been talking about like um the exile of the jewish people and things so right this is a good episode though yeah i had a good time getting more comfy with having guests i'm ready to have more guests yeah me too who wants to be a guest yeah yeah who wants to be on the podcast come on down do our homework for us animals on the podcast <laughs> every time mm-hmm. this is that's my boy he's our number one guest He's always there. We might as well add him to the main cast. He's no longer like a a special guest, a guest star. He's main cast. Mm -hmm. And he should be compensated as such. So I should go feed him dinner, is what you're saying. Should feed both of us dinner. Yeah, you should. Well, I've completely forgot how to do like an outro. My mind is (laughs) blank. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, You know, all of our social media is down below in all of the episode descriptions. We say it all the time. Mm -hmm. You want to get a hold of us, go ahead and do that. Reach out with uh, recommendations. We love those. We will put pictures up on Instagram. Um, Your mom already mentioned one of the photos that she will put up for us. Mm -hmm. No idea what the fuck I'm going to put up um, quite yet. Maybe some pictures of some hagstones or something, um, or the the spot where um, Kenneth McKenzie died because they do have a memorial there. Yeah, um, I have a newspaper article that shows a photo of um, it's like an article about the miracle of the sun that shows mm-hmm. a photo of like the crowd of people watching. So I'll do that. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Merry Christmas, blessed Yuletide. 
Um, all the other ones too. Happy holidays in general, and we will see you next time. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.